welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew 12, as we continue our study through the gospel of Matthew. The Savior King and his kingdom will open up with a word of prayer and then get into this text for today. Thank you, Lord, for this time, for this opportunity to be here together. Lord, as we, um, we have celebrations going on, we're rejoicing and you're working physically and relationally, emotionally. We're thankful for, Lord, the, the ways that you just operate within your body. When we gather a group like this, we have people with all sorts of things going on uh, from, from uh, uh, you know, birthdays of, of um, many years to first birthdays, Lord. Uh, we're, we're thankful, Lord God, for all that you're doing. We thank you for the healings. We thank you for the touches. We thank you for your presence in this place. And now as we open up your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you would say to your church today. We thank you for this time. We give it to you now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, here in chapter 12, we'll finish chapter 12 this morning. Once again, as we'll see regularly with the, uh, with the Gospels, Jesus interacting with the scribes and Pharisees. So we're back into one of, those, one of those accounts again. So pick it up in verse 38. It says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, first reading on that, we might, you know, we might think, okay, okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, Jesus had just healed a blind, mute man that was possessed by a demon. What else did they need to see is kind of my response to that. It's my question. He's just done that. What else do they need? The problem with this is it reveals really the state of their heart. And a problem that they have, they've just witnessed this radical miracle, and it was a radical miracle, and the people around him saw it and said, well, whoa, who is this guy? Could this guy actually be the Messiah? They're so blown away by it. And the scribes and Pharisees, okay, that was good, but do you have any more? You got anything else you can do? They wanted more than what Jesus had already done. And here's the problem. If you need miracles to believe, you'll always need more miracles. You'll need bigger miracles. You'll need miracles to continue to believe. If you need a miracle so that you can believe, you'll need a miracle so that you can continue to believe. And it never ends. The Bible says we don't need miracles. In Romans 10, 17, it says this, 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you have the Word of God, if you've got a Bible in your hand, somebody say, yes, I've got a Bible in my hand. I've been doing that a lot lately. Come on, church. I'm preaching up here. If you've got a Bible in your hand, you don't need anything else. You've got a Bible in your hand. If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You need nothing else to believe. And if you do need something else, that's a problem. That's a problem. Now, we're going to get into the degree that you believe is also, is also a function of that as well. How much you believe. They're asking for a sign that proves that Jesus is the Messiah. They wanted a sign that was different than what he'd already done. And what had he already done? <laughs> a lot. So many miracles that we, they, you know, the, the disciples got tired of writing them all down. They said, oh, and he, he healed the multitude, period. <laughs> like of all of their illnesses, all of their diseases, all of their possessions, he healed them all. They started summarizing it. It was happening so regularly, so often. There was only one more sign he was going to give them. He was going to rise from the dead. But even that sign was not going to be enough. In Luke 16, 31, it says this, but he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Jesus had already provided more than enough evidence for them to believe. J.C. Ryle said this, there was evidence enough to convince them, but they had no wish to be convinced. Ultimately, in, in things like this, it's gonna come down to your heart. It's gonna come down to your desire. Do you want to believe? And this applies to us as believers as much as it did to the Jews of Jesus' time. It applies as much to us today as believers as it does to the unbelievers today. What does God expect from us? He expects absolute surrender. He expects us to give all of our will to him for his glory, for his purposes, through obedience, walking in faith. He expects that. Now, most Christians, if they are true Christians, believe enough to be saved, right? That, that's how you become. You have to believe enough to be saved. That, that's, you know, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you have to believe enough to actually be saved by God. Once you've been, once you've been saved, you're, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're destined for heaven. Nothing's going to interfere with that. You know, that's enough. But that's not all God wants. God expects Absolute surrender. He doesn't want it. He expects it. He commands it. As an act of faith, he wants your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, every bit of you. Problem is too many. They're satisfied with just being saved. Just heading to heaven. Have my, my sins are forgiven. It's not enough. They're not seeking him. They're not seeking his will. They're not seeking his righteousness. They're not seeking his kingdom. They're not loving him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Other things, other, other, other 
attractions, other focuses, other things consume them and take a higher priority in life than does loving God with every bit of ourselves. They're not diligently seeking him in his word. Jesus left. We just have to pause and talk about this. Think about this for a second. Jesus was with God the Father when? Eternity passed. He'd always been with the Father. And then he stepped down out of heaven, took on human flesh, and walked among his creation as one of his creation. And he did that so he could make a way for us all to be saved. And not just saved. That was never God's ultimate plan for us to just be saved. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. God didn't come just so that you could be saved. He came so that you could live a different life than you were living before. Live a different life than everyone around you is living. Live a life that is full and rich and abundant. With abundant with the promises of God, with the reality of God, with the hope of God, the peace of God, the truth of God, all of the things that are God, he wants, us to, he wants us to embrace and to experience all of those things right now. Now, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited about heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about heaven. Heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to be unbelievable. It is going to be, there's, there are no words in the human language or any language that can express the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the, and the, the fun of heaven. There's no way. But we don't have to wait for heaven for that. We can experience it today or pieces of it anyways. Can't experience all of it until we get there. How do we do it? How do we do that? How do we live that abundant life? It's by actively pursuing God. We have to chase after God. We do that in his word. We do that through obedience. We do that through fellowship with his, with, his, with his children. We do that through service in his church, through giving, through all of the things that we talk about on a regular basis. That's how we do it. But we do that actively. We do that deliberately. We do it purposefully. We don't just show up and, okay, I'll do my time here at church. I'm glad you showed up. Keep coming. But it's, it's more than that. We ought to rejoice when we show up at church. We gather around people who are going to heaven with us. It ought to be a time of joy and rejoicing. Yeah, there's sadness, there's pain, there's suffering, there's all that stuff too. But, there's the, but the connection of the body to the body is beautiful, glorious, life-giving. We should enjoy it. We should rejoice and we should relish it. But we have to chase after God to get it. And just as the scribes and the Pharisees had no excuse for not believing Jesus, in that moment, when they were asking him for a sign, they already had everything they needed to believe. They needed nothing else to believe. They had their own scriptures. They had the signs that proved that the scriptures we're talking about Jesus. They had his own words. They had everything they needed to believe. They had no excuse. And just as they had no excuse, today we have no excuse 
for not living the abundant life. There is nothing holding us back except us, except our own desire, our own heart, our own willingness to yield our will to God and to chase after God. God created us to love him, to experience the the intimacy of a communion walk with him. And we do that by chasing after him in his word, through fellowship, all these different things we talk about. They're all a part of it, but we do them all deliberately. And we say, when, I'm, when we pass the bags around, we talk about giving. I don't just give just because, well, okay, that's, that's, what, that's what time it is. Time to give to the church. No, I give because God has given me, as Randy talks about, as the guys talk about, and we, 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 the reality of these, of these things we do are, are just, they're a part of our chasing after God. I've talked about worship. David has talked about worship. Worship is not just about singing songs. It's about literally getting our mind and heart in a place where we can, we can imagine ourselves entering into the very presence of God, into his throne room, and rejoicing that we are one of his kids. Do you understand how big of a deal that is? Verse 39, teacher, show us a sign. Jesus says, okay, here's, here's your sign. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> Verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeked after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give you that's different than the other signs that I've given, because he's not done working miracles. He's going to keep working miracles. So the only sign I'm going to give you different than every other sign I have done and will continue to do is the resurrection. That's the only sign that he's going to give them that's different. He says... That he'll spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. That means he's going to die. We know. We, we look back through the whole Bible and we see, yeah, Jesus was betrayed. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was crucified. And he died. He was buried. But in the third day, what happened? He rose again. Well, they wouldn't believe that either. We know that through history. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is saying you have every sign that you need. You're going to get one more. You're going to get the resurrection. You're going to see the resurrection. You're going to know that the resurrection took place but you're going to reject that one also. You're going to deny that one also and someday you're going to stand and in the judgment. And, 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 and the Ninevites, wicked, evil, horrible Ninevites, terrible people. When Jonah showed up after he'd been puked out of the whale or whatever great fish it was, he walks into Nineveh and he preaches and they all repent from the king all the way down to the lowest of low. They even, they even put sackcloth on the camels 
to, to show their grief and mourning over the reality that God is going to judge them. And then God relented because they repented. And Jesus says, when you, in the judgment, the Ninevites are going to point at you and say, man, you're messed up. The Ninevites are going to do that. The Queen of the South, we know that account when she came to visit Solomon, seeking his wisdom. And Jesus saying that, you know, that he is greater than Solomon. His wisdom is greater than Solomon's because Solomon's wisdom, where did Solomon's wisdom come from? Jesus. Listen. Jesus was right there in their presence. Jesus had everything that they needed. He gave them everything they needed to believe. And they wanted something else. Listen, if we, if we need something other than Jesus, then we're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to have enough. And we'll end up settling for something far less than what God offers us. Jesus then speaks a parable to them about the religious system that created the scribes and Pharisees. Verses 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, finds none. But then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Sorry, somebody is really trying to get a hold of me. Okay, never mind. And they enter and dwell, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall be also with, his, with this wicked generation. This is a parable that Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking regarding the idea of incomplete faith or insincere faith. The Jews had a, a, a very elaborate religious system that was designed to bring them into the presence of God. You know, Randy was talking about Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, the idea that once a year they had this system where they could atone for their sins, that they could have their sins covered over and they could, they could live, you know, another year without, without being afraid that God was going to, you know, strike them down and destroy them, whatever they're, whatever they're actually afraid of. The idea is that, you know, they have this system that was designed to give them some amount of peace, It had become so shallow and so ritualistic and so legalistic that it no longer brought them into the presence of God. They had all the rituals of faith, but they lacked the reality of faith. And brothers and sisters, that's a problem. And it's not, it's not exclusive to the Jews. There are churches all around us, and I pray that I, don't, I know we are not one of these churches that has empty rituals, but, but people may be here practicing these rituals in empty ways. For, for most Jews, Judaism had become a godless religious duty. And there are churches calling themselves Christian churches where God is rarely mentioned or thought of. Listen, 
You know why we're here? Because of Jesus. You know why we continue to do all that we do? Because of Jesus. Everything we do, everything we believe, everything we say is about Jesus, is about God, is about his word. It's all about him. And the moment we start making this about man or, or social issues or prosperity or whatever, you know, signs and wonders, whatever we might do, if we start doing those kinds of things, we have, we have wandered away from the true faith and we are doing very similar to what the Jews do every single week or day or whatever, however, however often the, the ones that actually practice our religion do it. Paul warned us. In 2 Timothy 3.5, it says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Brothers and sisters, a church must be about the word of God and, and empowered by the spirit of God, pointing to the son of God in the name of God the Father. If we're doing it for any other reason, we're off base, we're wrong. You know, these churches, they... they, they they call themselves churches, and, and, you know, the people in those churches may, may resemble Christians or people of God in some way, but they lack the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. There's no life. We see churches now, churches, air quote, churches, practicing idolatry and Eastern mysticism bringing in these godless practices that, that are leading people astray. Not all churches, but there's too many of them out there that are doing it. Interesting, we're doing a prophecy meeting later on. That's gonna be dominant in the end times. In the end times, this godless church is gonna rise to great power, and we see the signs of it even today. Listen, any church that does not use God's word as its foundation for the purpose of coming to know Jesus and leading people to Jesus, stay away. Stay away. They're not leading people to God. They're leading people somewhere else. And if they're not leading people to God, we don't want to know where they're leading them. Yeah, this, this, this scripture here about the demons. We don't want to. We don't want to take it literally because it's not. It's a parable. It's not meant to be taken literally. This describes a person who doesn't fully come to Christ. There are people that will respond to an invitation. They'll respond to the the Spirit of God calling. They'll respond in some way, but it's not. It's not a real conversion. It's just. It's just a a a, a verbal response to some stimulus. They make a confession of faith. They say they have repented of their sins, and they might even attempt to repent their life, or re re reform their lives. But after a while, they fall away. Why? Because they never were saved. You know why they fall away? Because the only way you actually can reform your life and truly repent of your sins and turn away from them is if you have the Spirit of God in you. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't do any of those things. 
And the only way to do that is to humble your heart before God, confess your sins brokenly, confess your sins before him, receive his Holy Spirit, receive his forgiveness, accept the fact, believe that he died on the cross for you. If you do that, the Holy Spirit will come in and then you can truly turn away from your sins, you can truly reform your life, and you can truly walk with God and you'll stay You'll walk. You may, not always, you may not do it perfectly. Man, I got people all around me. I keep trying to remind, hey, stay on, stay on course. Stay on course, Larry. Stay on course. Stay on, no, I'm kidding. Larry's good. If you just show up to the Saturday morning study, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I've been teasing about that for a long time. The apostle Peter challenges us to make sure of our salvation. That's a fascinating thing to me. When, when Peter says to us here in 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. He's saying, make sure you're saved. Don't just fake it. Don't just say it. Make sure you're saved. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't make sure you're saved by truly confessing your sins before God, repenting of your sins, receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, acknowledging the fact that the Holy Spirit has taken residence, if, if you don't do that, you're not going to heaven. And you're not going to be able to walk the walk of a, of a true believer for very long. Now, I'm not speaking to any of you because you're all amazing. And you look great today, by the way, just saying. <laughs> now, we always need to check our heart. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I think Peter is talking to all of us. Be more diligent. Be diligent. Because we get, we get so lazy. We get so you know, caught up in the things of life and, and whatnot. We allow our faith to, to get dull and stale. And, and, and Peter is telling us here, don't do that. Refresh it. Make it alive again. We do that by continuing and continuously seeking God in his word, seeking him with his people, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in service, seeking him in all the different ways we talk about. We've got to keep doing it. We have to be diligent to do it. And the more diligent we are when we seek God, the more assured we become of our salvation. There were times in my faith where I was like, okay, I kind of blew it again. I wonder if I'm actually saved, right? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. I don't do that anymore. I am absolutely convinced. I have no question in my, in my heart at all. Are you saved? Yes. Are you going to heaven? Yep. I even know where my, where my Corvette is parked. It's a joke. I'm not getting a Corvette in heaven. I don't, I, don't think they, I don't think they're allowed on streets that are golden. This, this reality, what, what Jesus is talking about here, of this, of this shallow, meaningless religion that the Jews were practicing at that time, and they still, they still practice it today, um, it, it, it will, it is a symptom of not just the Jews, but really all churches that do not have Christ as their head. And all of that will come to a culmination in the end times. 
we talk about we've talked we've taught through revelation we've talked about it at the prophecy meeting the the godless church will rise to great power in the end times and we can see symptoms of that now we can see signs of it now it's not now it's not it's not it's not the the great harlot is not risen up yet but she's gonna and it'll be in the end times in the meantime the church the true church of Jesus Christ needs to keep its heart pure it keeps its eyes focused on him, doesn't need to get distracted with all of the weird stuff that's going on in the world. We need to know about it. We need to talk about it. That's why we have our prophecy meetings. But we get our, keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We keep our hearts pure. We keep, we keep our minds diligently focused on God and the things of God. We keep at it, we keep at it, we keep at it until he tells us to do something else. This chapter is going to end here with Jesus and, or with Jesus' family showing up. So let's pick that up, verse 46. While he was still talking to the multitudes, he was talking to them about the scribes and the Pharisees, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. This account is also recorded in Mark and Luke. <clears throat> Excuse me. In this account, we need to understand, Jesus is not diminishing familial relationships. In that culture, family was everything. That family superseded everything. He's not diminishing family. He is elevating spiritual relationships. Where, where in, in the, that culture, if mom and brother show up, they take precedence over everything. Jesus say, no, they don't. No, they don't. The spiritual relationships are now elevated to a place of, at a very least, equality. And we see this in our own spiritual lives. We see how sometimes in relationships, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it starts to strain and stretch sometimes our, our other relationships. It affects our other relationships, and it does because God is elevating the spiritual to a place that is, that is at least, <clears throat> excuse me, equal with those of the, the, the familial relationships. <clears throat> excuse me. Here's the key, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. One of the things we note as we study Jesus, he never mentions Father in his, in his speaking because he, his, well, when he does, it's always the Father, not Joseph, who was Mary's husband. At this point, Joseph has been gone for some time. We don't, we don't hear about him after the account when he's 12 um, in Jerusalem. After that, we don't hear about Joseph. So the most common belief is that he's passed away by that point. Jesus says here that obedience to God, obedience to God's will, is, it takes precedence over everything. We, we sometimes kind of struggle with that because we think, wait a minute, what about, what about me taking care of family and doing all my family relationship stuff, doing all those responsibilities? Well, God's will will not 
will not supersede what he already told you he expects of you. He expects husbands here to minister to your wives. He's never going to tell you to do something that's opposite of that. He's never gonna, his will is never going to lead you to abandon your wife to go do something for him. He won't do that. But he will tell you that his will supersedes everything, everything. But it will never violate his word. It will never, it will never violate his character. It will never do any of that. But we must always say that God's will comes first. There's no exceptions. Why do we obey God? Why should we obey God? Well, one, he commands us to do it. And as God, we should do what God commands us to, right? Somebody say, yes, we should obey God because he commands us to do it. But it's also, you see here, he says here, whoever does the will of, of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What he's saying that is one of the ways that we, that we maintain our relationship with Christ is, is by doing the will of God and, and so that's one of the reasons why we obey God, so that we can maintain that relationship. It's how I maintain my relationship with God, is by obeying God's will. Let's think about something for a second. I don't know if you, ever, I don't know if you thought about this for a while. I know, I know most of you read ahead to know where we were at. And you, you, you've done your own time with God on that, right? Okay. <laughs> no, you didn't. I know you didn't. <laughs> You're waiting for me. How amazing is it that Jesus calls you brother or sister? How amazing is that? That you are a sibling of God, the Son. Jesus, our Savior King, is our brother. I think, I think we ought to... You know, sometimes, you know, we ought to pause and there's certain words that pop out and you just ought to pause and think about for a second. Whoever, who does the word whoever apply to? Whoever. Is there, are there any conditions on the whoever there? None. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother or sister. At what level? An equal level. That ought to give us such encouragement. Because I don't know about you, my faith is not always what I, what I think it ought to be. You know, sometimes I look at my faith and I'm saying, man, Rick, you could do better than that. It doesn't matter how small or weak or immature your faith is. Jesus calls you his brother or sister no matter how small, no matter how imperfect, no matter how, how misinformed your faith might be, no matter any of those things, if your heart is to do the will of God, then you are one of his brothers and sisters. No matter how pathetic you might seem in your own eyes, he considers you one of his siblings. Another reality to this, if doing the will of God makes us a brother and sister, then we are also, it also relates to our relationship with each other. If I am, if I, if I'm doing the will of God and, and Jesus calls me his brother and, and, and you're doing it and he calls you the sister or a brother, then we are brothers and sisters. At what level? Equal level. Equal level. 
That makes us brothers and sisters with every Christ follower all around the globe. No matter what type of church they go to, no matter the nation they call home, no matter the language they speak, the color of their skin, their status and culture, their wealth, their poverty, their whatever, if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, they're your brother and sister. Oh, that ought to, that ought to give us pause. Because sometimes we're, we're not very nice to some people who, you know, who, who maybe don't do it the way we do it. Because we're the only ones that does it right. Right? No. <laughs> Roger, no. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful. We do not want to despise one of Christ's brothers and sisters, do we? Should we? If they're, if they're one of his brothers or sisters, should we not honor them and respect them to the same degree that he would, even if we don't agree with them? Even if we don't approve of the way that they practice their faith? We don't know their hearts. We don't know what's, what's going on inside of them. Now, there are some things that are wrong, okay? There, there are things that we can call those things out and call them wrong. But be careful. Be careful. If, you just, if you're despising one of God's brothers and sisters, one of Jesus' brothers and sisters, that's not a good place to be. We should love them. We should show them grace and mercy. We should, we should be gentle with them. We should be willing to sacrifice for them. We should be willing to give for them. We should be willing to be inconvenienced by them. We should be willing to take whatever comes our way from them. Because we're going to spend all of eternity with them. And Jesus loves them in the same way that he loves us. And for us to do any different would be wrong. There may be things about the way they worship God that we disagree with, but if they're true Christ followers, they are family. Now, they may be the weird uncle in the family, but they're family. It should also be seen as a warning to those who mock Christians or persecute the church. Someone who mocks Christians or persecutes the church, who are they mocking? They're mocking one of Jesus' brothers and sisters. They're, they're persecuting his church, and there will be a consequence for that. David and the worship team are going to come up in a minute. And as they, as they make their way back up here, are you guys are you coming up too? Okay, come well, as soon as David gets here. I want you to reflect on the fact that Jesus thinks of you as a brother or sister. That's a powerful thing. You know, one of the great human needs is that, that feeling of belonging, right? We, we want to belong to something. We, we are made to that. We are made to feel like we're connected, that we're, we're connected with one another. We're connected through relationships. We're create, created as relational beings, and we want to be a part of something. That's just, that's just how we were made. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you, are, you belong in his family. You are in his family. And nothing that the world says or thinks or does can change that. I love that. 
No matter what this world does, I know that I am a child of God. And nothing's going to change that. Not even, not even me can change that. Not my fears or worries or anxieties or, or wrong thoughts or ignorance or pride or selfishness, any of those things that we might manifest in our own heart doesn't change who I am. I am a child of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we ought to take that as an encouragement and remind ourselves of it on a regular basis. You wake up in the morning and remind yourself, I am a child of God, exclamation point. It is not a question. It's not a, well, maybe. It is an absolute fact, and it ought to be something, a source of encouragement. And then look around the world, because you are surrounded by people that either are children of God or people who should be children of God. And if you are a child of God, then you ought to be a part of helping others to get into the family. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, as we come to this time and this place. And I ask, Lord God, as we prepare to close this service and move on to the next thing, I pray, Lord God, that you administer our hearts the truth, the reality of the fact that we are your children. What an amazing thing that is. And, and Lord, we started this, this time in, this, in this, this text talking about those who are practicing a dead religion, uh, empty and vain and, and, and prideful religion that, that ultimately you weren't a part of. While you were part of it in name, you were not a part of it in spirit. And I pray that would not be true for any of us that our hearts would be pure and true before you, that you would, you would know, that we would know that you know our hearts. And if there's any wrong way in us, that we would lay it down before you, we'd confess it before you, we'd repent of it right this very moment and get right with you. And I pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching online who has not given their heart to you, they're not one of your children, but your desire is for them. And so I pray, Lord, you'd open their heart to receive from you what they need right now, and that is forgiveness of their sins through repentance. Do that right now, Lord. Lord, help us. Encourage us, Lord, with the fact that we are your children, and help us to walk out of here acting like your children. We pray for your blessing on the rest of this day and on the, the prophecy meeting. Lord, let it be a time where we get to know you better and better. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, 
please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Thank you.